0: Father in heaven, it's uh, again a wonder to us, to me, that we have before us the very word of God. So I pray that you would take it and, and now in, in our hands and enable us to, to read it and to understand it, uh, to believe it. I pray that you use it now uh, to work in our lives in such a way that we're able to live as you've called us to live. That is faithful to you, glorifying you. And this we pray uh, in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn, please, to Luke in chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. We took this up last Sunday. I didn't finish, so we're going to take it up again today to, uh, to finish it. So, Luke in chapter 4, please. I want to read verses 1 through 13. Uh, please hear the word of God. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit returned from the Jordan, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for forty days, being tempted by the devil. And he had nothing during these days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time, and said to him, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, it is said you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune <clears throat> time. Now, remember, just they catch you up and I'm a bit um, no, oh, I don't know. Anxious this morning because I, I got a little farther in this passage with you all, or at least in the first service, than I did in the second service. So some of you came to the second service and may say, wait a minute, I didn't cover that. And some of you came to the first service and may say, that's a bit redundant. But I've been redundant before. So let me, let me just kind of catch us up. Alright, we know this incident in the life of Jesus. It comes in the heels, as we said, of Jesus' baptism. and his baptism, when the Father said, You're my Son, in whom I am well pleased, he was, in essence, uh, confirming who Jesus was and his mission, uh, and sending him out. The confirmation of who Jesus was is, You're my Son. Uh, the confirmation of the mission was that he would inherit the nations, That's Psalm 2-7. Uh, and then the way that he would inherit the nations was by way of suffering. Uh, because uh, in whom I am well pleased is a designation that we find in the prophet Isaiah as he speaks of the suffering servant uh, who is to come and suffer uh, for the sake of the people. And so, so we see all of that there. So Jesus then is sent out and his first um, event, if you will, after being confirmed and ordained and so forth, is to... to to fast for 40 days to come to that deep point of weakness and then in the midst of that perhaps or after that it's difficult to tell from the passage but to be tempted by the devil. And so we say why? And we say well because Jesus was coming if you will as the second Adam the first Adam when tempted by the devil lost it all and he's come now as the second Adam to regain it all if you will. Under the first Adam, we are cursed under the second Adam in him we 're to be blessed and so, so that 's this, and he 's to be the true israel of god he 's to build the, the Israel of God, that is the true vine that really obeys that bears the fruit of God, and so, so he comes in the midst of, of that, and he 's tempted by the devil to undo all that was all that was lost and So, so the devil comes to him in, in these in these temptations as we as we say and though So uh, here, as we come to this passage, we'd have great hope. Hope because he for us has obeyed. So we receive his righteousness. I hope you understand that. I hope that you see that every time that you've been tempted and sinned, Jesus has been tempted and obeyed. And that gives us hope uh, to know that then his obedience is for us. So we can be in the presence of God. Not only that, we know that he can give help to us. Because the scripture tells us that we don't have a high priest that is one who represents us. We don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize or empathize with our weaknesses. But because he's been tempted in every way, like us, yet without sin, he's able to help us. That that is, to give us grace and mercy in time of need. And the good news for us is that Jesus overcame all of these temptations. Um, I can help you. I can empathize with your sin. I can talk to you about my own and, and, and my own struggles and all of that. And I can give you some guidance on perhaps how you can avoid them and stay out of them. But the truth of the matter is, I'm not that trustworthy because I've failed too. But Jesus never did. And so we go to him, you see, we're going to the one who, who knows how to overcome and so he's our hope and our help because he can enable us, he can help us because he knows, he knows how to withstand them because he has. And so 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 there we have it, you see. And so we come to these these uh, temptations of Jesus. We're asking the question, in what sense were these tempting to Jesus? And in the other sense, how does this experience of Jesus shape Our own our own lives. The first one, I think, by and large, we got through this one uh, here, at least uh, during this hour. Uh, I don't know why it's a bit windy in the second service. I just didn't quite get through. Uh, But uh, you can always tell. Here's a preacher's trick. Listen to the closing prayer. If he didn't make his last point, he makes it during his prayer. That's what I had to do. Uh, So it's just something to. Be way of. It. Why is he going on and on in this prayer about that? Well, because that was his last point. I shouldn't have told you that. I shouldn't have told you that. Uh. But so in the first temptation. Jesus is famished. He's been he's been he's been uh, he's been fasting for forty days almost. Goodness gracious! Almost six weeks. Think about that. Just just think about what he would look like at that moment in time. Wouldn't like this triumphant Son of God. He would be this famished, weak, gaunt, gray, tired, little energy. He knows that his mind is going on and so forth, all of that. And so there he is. So Satan sees him and says, you don't look like the Son of God to me. Why are you fasting and not feasting? Right? Why aren't you fellowshipping? Why are you forsaken in this in this wilderness area? Why are you so isolated in this in this place, but if you're really the son of God, you know, you can deal with this. You can take care of this in a moment. All you have to do is turn these stones into bread. In fact, the way it's written in Luke, he says this, this stone, it's almost like he has one laid out. He goes, look at this. This would make a great loaf. Right? Because we know Jesus has the authority of rocks. He could have done it. He had that kind of power. But he didn't. He went back and he used the word of God because that was informed him as to what is really true, what should really direct him in his life. And he said, no, 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 man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, really. And so so that's what Jesus would do. He said, I know my calling. You you see, when 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 my father tempted the 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 Israelites as they left Egypt and they were in the wilderness and he took them to a place there was no food. He was teaching them that they that that food isn't the biggest deal. What was the biggest deal is the word of God following God. Jesus, I think, would take that whole Uh, uh, time in the life of ancient Israel and paraphrase it like this. Don't worry about food or clothes, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. What's really important is the seeking first the kingdom, seeking first God and his righteousness, following his word, if you will, and then trusting him in the midst of that. And he said to ancient Israel, you know, when you enter the land and, and all is prosperous, if you forget me, even though you have as much bread as you want, then all is lost. You can have all the bread you want. You can have all the stuff you want. But if you don't follow after me, you'll lose it all. Jesus would paraphrase it, I think, this way. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? And Jesus, therefore, knew better. He knew his calling. He knew his calling was to identify perfectly and completely with humanity, with human beings in all of their weakness. And so he he stayed weak, if you will, even though he'd been fasting. And he didn't then use his power to take a shortcut. He didn't use his power to alleviate his own suffering because he knew that he had come not to be served, but to serve. Not to even be served by his own power, but to serve. And the way that he would serve would be to go to the cross. And so that he wasn't going to give up. That's really what Satan was after to thwart Jesus from following his father. And so he says, Jesus does. No, 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 no shortcuts. And we know. I mean, we know the shortcuts we try to take. And he said, no, 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 don't do that. That's all the review. Now, the second temptation, you can see it as it comes. Now, just very quickly, if you're a reader of the Bible, you would know this, that Matthew, in his account, uh, changes the order of the second and third temptation. For Matthew, the, uh, uh, Luke's second temptation is his third. And for Matthew, Luke's third temptation is his second. All right, So he reverses, reverses the order. And you might say, well, why? why? And I would say, I don't know. Other than order doesn't seem to be important as it is to us. I mean, we when we uh, write things up, we, we like, you know, a chronological order. And we think unless you have that, then you've made a mistake. That isn't true in the in biblical days or with the biblical writers. So you can read through the scripture and you find various orders of events and so forth. That doesn't seem to be important to them in, 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 in communicating their message. So why it's like this, I, I really don't know. And I don't think anybody else does either. And I've read a lot. So you can, you can enjoy hours upon hours of reading about this. But I, I think you've come to my conclusion that you don't know either. But but so we'll just take it up as it comes. And, uh, and so here we are. So this this temptation comes uh, from Satan to uh, Jesus. And notice how he puts it. He says he takes Jesus uh, somewhere to be able to see uh, all of the kingdoms of the world in a moment in time. Now, I mentioned, I think, last Sunday that, that we, we don't know how that exactly happens. I mean, Jesus was famous He had been fasting for 40 days. I don't think he was ready for a hike up to the highest point in the mountain. So now did they sort of transport in some sort of way? I don't know. Was it a, was it, was it a, was it a vision that he presented and sort of saw the kind of, Again, we, we don't know. All we know it was real. All we know there was a real Satan, a real Jesus. And this was a real temptation uh, to him. And so, so the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment in time, in time. Picture that and said to him, to you, I'll give all this authority and their glory for it's been delivered to me and I will give it to whom I to whom I will. Uh, and so you see the, the question that, that we have here. Is whether or not, in one sense, Satan was telling the truth. I mean, did he really have the authority to give to whoever worshiped him to Jesus all the kingdoms of the world? Now you remember, that was the promise of the Father to the Son. I'll give you your inheritance. Which are the nations. Now, now Jesus knew to, 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 receive that inheritance, he would have to die. To receive that inheritance, he would have to go to the cross. To receive that inheritance, you see, he would have to, to, to go there. So, so, so that was really the temptation. The temptation of Jesus was, you can get all of this, if you will, without the cross. And now you say, well, what, what kind of a temptation was that really? But, but it really, remember Gethsemane. Jesus himself, there at that moment in time, said, you know, if there's any way, Father, this cup could pass from me, that'd be good. That'd be alright. You, know, you know, why? Why would Jesus at that moment in time, why would that be on his mind? You know, there's been lots of people who've died throughout history with less struggle than Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. So why did Jesus struggle so? Why, why was this on his heart, why, why was the agony really in the garden at that point in time? Well, the, the agony was the same agony that should be in every rational human being as they face death. Because Jesus knew what he was facing. He always isn't stopping breathing. He was going to encounter the wrath of God. And that, knowing that, really knowing that caused Jesus, like it would cause anyone representing human beings to stop and say, Just, do I have to do that? That? So there it was, I think, in preliminary form in front of Jesus at that moment. In that moment in time, whatever else was going on, it was, you know, you could, you, I could give you this. I could, you would have to do that. I could give you this. So there was there was Jesus in the midst of, of that situation. The question is: Did Satan have the authority to do that? I mean, the Scripture speaks of 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 of, of, of Satan as the God of this age. Yeah, the Scripture speaks of him as the Prince, of the power of the air. Uh, speaks of him as the God of this world. John in his first epistle says that the whole world is under his power, if you will, under his authority. And Jesus didn't say his rebuke of of, of Satan was, "This is silly. You can't do that." But but yet, yeah, we, we know that while while Satan has has great influence over. All that is wicked and all that will follow him. We also know still that God is sovereign over him. I mean, in Genesis chapter three, uh, God cursed the, the Satan. He cursed the serpent, if you will. Uh, you remember Job's situation. Uh, Job didn't have free reign at all. That God had put him on a tether. Uh Satan didn't have free reign over Job. God put him on a tether. Uh he, he said, Well you can do this but you can't do that or you can do this but you can't go this far and all that kind of thing and so, so we, we we know that in in that instance at least Satan didn't have complete authority to do whatever it is uh that he That he wanted. We know that when Jesus encountered demons along the way, he could exercise them, throw them out, cast them out at a word. So it wasn't like he was under their authority at that point in time, that they had authority over him and over over everything. We know that Jesus would defeat Satan and all of that. So, uh, no, the, the scripture says that the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. The earth is his and all that live in it. God is sovereign over all of these things. In fact, even ask the question, was Satan telling the truth? To cause <laughs> you to say, oh yeah, it was Satan. Uh, he's the father of lies. So the answer was Satan telling the truth is never completely holy. yes. Can't. Right? Jesus says them in John chapter 8, verse 44 of Satan, he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth uh, because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. No, it wasn't really his to give. The temptation was, can I get the kingdoms? Without the cross. But but, but, but the way Jesus really understood it was that this is a temptation. To idolatry. Notice how Jesus rebuts him. He says it's written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. I mean, I mean, that was Jesus. That was Jesus point. It's it's you're trying to get me to worship you, to to fall on my face before you, to genuflect before you, to bow before you, to listen to you, to to, to seek you, to direct my life uh, rather than rather than God. And he said, that's really uh, that's the idolatrous part of uh, of all of this. So Jesus goes back really and. Actually, there's no actual phrase in the Old Testament. You shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And like that, he's kind of putting some things together. We see we see the first commandment in this. I know other God's before me. Uh, we see uh, a passage in Deuteronomy in chapter six where, where that's part of the expression uh, as well, where um, Moses is speaking to the Israelites about. Entering the land and he writes to them and he says, it is the Lord, your God, you shall fear him. You shall serve and by his name, you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the people who are around you. For the Lord, your God is in the midst of you and he is a jealous God. Lest the anger of the Lord, your God, be kindled against you and he destroy you from the from the face, uh, from the face of the earth. You see this Deuteronomy 6 Passage again. We we read it last week. I don't know if you remember, but but this Deuteronomy chapter six passages is passage where where God tells the people, I want you to listen to me. I want you to obey my commands. I want my commands to be uh, everywhere around you, on your head and on on your doorposts, on your tassels. I want I want you to be thinking about who I am and what I've commanded you to do because you're to follow after me. You're to obey me uh, because I'm a jealous God. That isn't a bad term, jealousy, like you and I have. He's saying, I love you. I'm jealous in the best sense of the word, like a husband should be for his wife, like a parent should be for their child, their well-being. Don't follow anyone else. Don't go after anyone else. Serve me and serve me only. Every other God will destroy you. I won't. I'll care for you so that's the sense of it. So Jesus says, no, 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 I, I can't worship really, really any other God. There's a sense in which he's saying, I must, we must worship God. Now, not the kind of must that's forced against our will, but the kind of must that comes out of our heart. Um, a man, you wouldn't know him. Edward John Carnell wrote a book years ago called Christian Commitment. And in it is this expression. He says, suppose a husband asks his wife if he must kiss her goodnight. By the way, guys, not a good idea to ask that question. but, But if you did, her answer is you must, but not that kind of must. What she means is this. Unless a spontaneous affection for my person motivates you, your overtones are stripped of all moral value. I knew the women were complicated. Um... But, but that sense of it not that kind of must, you see. If, if, if it's that kind of must, then, then no. It's, it's, but, but yes, you must because you must want to. And thus you must. And that's the worship of God, you see. It's not that kind of must. What well, is? He deserves it, but, but it's not that kind of must. It's that kind of must that's not just with the lips, but with the heart. That kind of must. You must really... Worship him sincerely. So you see Jesus' temptation to this idolatry to follow after Satan rather than his father. to, To hear Satan define his life as opposed to his father define his life. You can only imagine at that moment in time, echoing through Jesus' mind as his father's, You are my son. And Satan saying, You are my son. Have you ever put yourself in that situation where there's a temptation and there's a situation and, and you, can, you can follow that which is wrong. You can follow the temptation. Allow echo in your mind the voice of Satan to say, oh yeah, you're my son. That'll wake you up. See, at that point, who is going to define who Jesus was? Satan? Or his father? Who is going to direct Jesus' life, Satan or His Father? Who is going to be the one in whom Jesus would delight, Satan or His Father? Would he say, "Yeah, I, I like this path way better"? Satan, thank you for that. Would he delight in that? Find joy in that? Would you find joy even in the cross, in obeying? His father, where was his delight? Where was his joy? When I think of this, I can't help but think of Psalm 115 in verse eight. And it's the truth. As I read this, this, this is the verse that came to my mind. Let me start with verse one. I think I have time. Psalmist writes, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name, give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Why should the nation say, where is their God? Our God is in the heaven. He does all that he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold. The work of human hands. They have mouths, but do not speak. Eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear. Noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel. Feet, but do not walk. And they do not make a sound in their throat. He describes these idols saying they can't. They're nothing. But then this, this verse, this sentence. Those who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. You see, that which we idolize, that which we worship, shapes us. We're shaped in their image. And so, do you realize that if Jesus would have worshipped at that moment in time Satan, it's hard to get these words out, he would have become a liar. He would have become a deceiver. For when he said, I am the bread of life, what he would mean is I'm the bread that will kill you. Not give you life. I'm the light of the world. No, 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 no. If he had said that and had followed Satan, he would be as Satan, an angel of light, masquerading as an angel of light. He would really be Darkness. He wouldn't be the door that leads to eternal life. He would be the door to hell. He wouldn't be the good shepherd that keeps safe. He would be like the hireling that when trouble came, he would run away. He wouldn't be the resurrection and the life. He would be death. He wouldn't be the way, not to God. He wouldn't be the truth, not of God. He wouldn't be life, but rather death. He wouldn't be the true vine. He would be a vine like ancient Israel was a vine and there was no fruit at all from that vine. You see, he would become, he would become a liar just like Satan. But because he didn't, it means he really is the bread of life. It really means he is the light of the world. It does really mean that he's the door to heaven. It doesn't really mean that he is the good shepherd and keeps us. It really does mean that he's uh, uh, the resurrection and the life. It really does mean that he's the way, the truth, and the light. It really does mean that he's the true vine, you see. Oh, we can trust him. He's not the Son of Satan. Hmm. I also can't help but think of Matthew, in chapter Seven in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is speaking, verse 13, he says, enter by the narrow gate for the gate that is for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it are many, but the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. And so Jesus was saying, I get it. This would be in a sense not having to go through the cross to get all the nations. This would be, in a sense, the the broad way, the easy way. But I know I can't take it. I have to go the narrow way, the way of God. There might be suffering on that way. There might be difficulty on that way. But but I, I need the way of God. And so I'll go the way of my father. And what's wonderful for us is that when we, Hear that word that we must too take the narrow way. We can look to Jesus because He did. And we can say, Jesus, you know the narrow way. You know the difficult way. You know the way of suffering if that be the, the course. And so Jesus helped me in the midst of that. And He says, I understand that there was a day that I saw the easy way and there it was before me. And, 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 but I took the narrow way. I took the way of God. And so I can help you in the midst of your narrow way too. Don't get stuck without calling out to Jesus, right? I don't know about you, but there are times when I find myself in, in these situations of, of 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 temptation and misery and it's as if my my mind is blocked and I, I can't think of Jesus at that moment and, and I just either go through with it or, or I just struggle with it. And, and 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 Jesus, no 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 remember me. You know? Yahweh you, set your mind, your sights Upon Jesus, the author and finisher finisher of our faith. Put your eyes upon him, you see. And he'll help us. He really will. He'll help us in our times. In our times of need. Then this third temptation, very quickly. This third temptation. uh, Satan takes Jesus up to the pinnacle of the temple in Jerusalem. Again, how he got there. I don't know whether it was a vision. I don't know. But there he is. He's on this high point in the temple. And, and, and. I must know, I mean, you know, obviously I've been reading this passage like many of you since I was a child, so it's hard to imagine what I might think would come next. But, but if you just sort of block out what you know of the passage and think, there Satan has, with Jesus on the pinnacle of the temple, what do you think he's going to tempt him with? I would think he's going to tempt him with the temple. This is yours, if, if you worship me or whatever. He's already been through that, I suppose, but I, I wouldn't have guessed. He said, jump. But, but he did he said throw yourself off this the pinnacle of this temple because you don't need to worry because you really are the son of God you see and, and, and that means that the, your father will dispatch angels and they'll catch you and they'll make sure that you are you're just fine I mean that's that's this sense of of, of the temptation of thinking what in the world then is this particular temptation that uh, he's asking Jesus to, uh, to jump off like this. Well, the way Jesus understands it, at least, we can discern from his response. He says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. In other words, Jesus has said, you want me to test God. That's what you want me to do. You want me to test him. Of course, that comes, I read that passage earlier from Exodus in chapter 17. That, 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 that was a situation where the people of Israel were testing God. Uh, they were at a place where there wasn't any water, and they began to grumble against God. They began to grumble against God. Uh, and, and at the end of that passage, you might remember, Moses says, why are you testing God? And you're testing him, in a sense, by, by saying By asking the question, are you really here? Are you really here? And in Psalm 95, the psalmist puts it like this. Psalm 95. There you go. It's a wonderful psalm. It starts out with a great call to worship. We use it often. Come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation and so forth. And then in the midst of that call to worship. God says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah. That is at the situation in uh, when the Israelites were leaving uh, Egypt and they found themselves at this place where there was no water. As on the day at Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. In other words, what was so troubling to Moses and to God as well, of course, is that they had already been delivered out of Egypt by God. they had already seen all the plagues. They had already been passed over by the angel of death because God had given them a substitute. They had already been allowed to leave. They had already been through the Red Sea. That whole incident. They had already been given bread by God, manna to eat. They had already been given meat by God in the quail that came. And now they found themselves thirsty And all they could do was grumble and say, send us back to Egypt. And God said, really? Are you testing my patience? Are you testing my mercy? Are you testing my goodness? Are you testing my kindness? Are you testing my faith? Why are you testing me like this? Haven't I shown you that I'm with you? Haven't I? What else do I need to do to show you that I'm with you. Oh, sorry, you're a little thirsty. Okay, Moses, go take the staff, go get some water for the people. And Jesus I, I, I can't, I can't do that. Now, now the, 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 the psalm that Satan quotes is Psalm 91. I read that earlier today, too. And uh, it's a wonderful psalm. It's a psalm of protection. It's a psalm where, where God tells his people that don't worry, I'm with you. Don't worry, I'll, I'll, I'll protect you. He says, he says, even this, he says, a um, thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right side. Um, but it won't come uh, near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you've made the Lord your dwelling place, the most high is my refuge. No evil shall be-, be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against the stone. Uh, you would tread on the lion and the adder and the young lion and the serpent. You will trample underfoot. You say, wow, that's a great promise. When I was. Uh, first in ministry. I did a funeral for a very young person who had tragically died. Because I was new at this, I went to a book on how to do funerals. And uh, there was a section that said passages to read at a funeral. And I saw Psalm 91. So I thought, I know that's a good one. I'll read it. And when I got to this part of he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways.
1: And on their hands they'll
0: bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. I got the biggest lump in my throat. Because of the way this young man had died. came from a Christian family, was a believer, professor of faith in Jesus. And I, at that moment, had a mini crisis of faith. Really, God? Is that really true? Then I thought of Jesus on the pinnacle of the temple. Was God really with him? Then I thought of Jesus on the cross. Was God really with him? And then I realized that this is true, even though we may suffer. Because at the end of the day, Jesus would look back and say, he was with me. He did not allow my body to decay. And I believe this young man, at the end of the day, says now... Oh, yes. Even death (laughs) could not overtake me. So Jesus hears this from Satan and gets it. He knows the plan of his father. He knows the way of his father. He says, no, no, no. Uh, Don't test. Don't test God. They say we can test God in various ways. We can test God in times of difficulty, in times of suffering. And we do that in this sort of passive-aggressive way by grumbling. Grumbling. Oh, God really isn't with me. If he's really with me, this wouldn't be happening to me. You know, I said this yesterday. Come on, God. Don't you know we worship on Sunday? Why so much snow? Right? I mean, it's just, come on. Are you really here? Do you really want us to worship? And he says, yeah, it's not that hard, Bill. <laughs> Especially in these days. <laughs> just get to church. Uh, and so, but, but, but you know, that's silly. But, but the deeper ones, obviously. The deeper ones. God, are you really here? Now, that's very different than the prayer that says, God, I'm hurting. Please help me. It's very different from the prayer that says, God, I know that you're sovereign over all things. God, I know that you love me. God, I know that you're really here. God, I know that you care for me. And I'm willing, God, to glorify you in the midst of suffering, if that is your call, if that enables me to witness better, to know you more. If that brings you glory, then I will suffer. But God, could you take this cup? Could you take this thorn? God, could you, would you help me in this manner? Help is what I love in this manner. Whether it's help me find a spouse or help the spouse I have. Or whether it's please give me a child or help the children I have. Or whether it's give me a better job or bless me in the one I'm in or meet the financial needs that I have or help me through this class or take this disease from me or for this one I love. You, you, you know those prayers. Those are different than testing God. Those aren't testing God at all. Those are coming to God saying, I, I'm, I'm needy, I'm weak. You might only help me. you're my only hope, please help me in this. If, if you don't, I'll, I'll follow you. This isn't a test. But there are other times, surely, that we test God by way of presumption. We listen to his promises and we go, oh, good. I know that he's with me. I know that he'll help me. I know that he loves my children. I know that he loves my spouse. I know that, that he'll help me in various ways. He'll, he'll keep me safe from sin and otherwise. And, and the day will come when he'll present me glorious in his presence. And those are the great promises of God, as I read for our um, assurance from our uh, confession this morning from First Peter chapter." One, that I have an inheritance that's undefiled that's kept in heaven for me. So, so that's great. Now, knowing that, sometimes we can presume upon God's mercy and presume upon His goodness. We can say, God, be with me and, and um, enable me to be married and then enter into a dating or a married situation that isn't of His approval. And test him and go, oh, he'll make this okay. Or it could be that uh, we neglect the means of grace. I mean, we, we know that he'll enable us to persevere and, and he'll keep us. And so, so, so we don't read the scripture. We don't pray. We don't come for sacraments. We don't worship. We don't fellowship together. We, we, we just, just kind of neglect that. And, and that's testing the Lord. Right? It's testing him. It's presuming that he'll catch us. When you say, well, this is what I have planned for you. This is the way I've set out for the course of your life, you see. And you know this, I talk about this. We are in great danger with our children. We trust and we pray for them that God will keep them safe and keep them in the faith. And then we, for them, neglect the means of Grace. And so Sundays become preoccupied with soccer and baseball and, and uh, all other kinds of events for our kids. And, and, and they miss youth group and they miss Sunday school and they miss worship and they miss this and they miss that for all these other things. I mean, that's okay. God will keep them safe. But He says, Don't test me. I've told you the means by which I'll keep you safe. Grab hold of them. Live them through. Live them, live them out. We ask God to, to keep our minds pure, to keep us from sin. And then we occupy our minds with that which can only destroy them. We're testing Him. Sort of like flipping stations, going if something, if there's something bad on here, then God will have me just skip over it, you know, <laughs> or it won't show up on my TV. <laughs> he says, "No, no, you're testing me." You're testing me in that. We, we want to have good relationships with, with, with our, our wives and, a, and, a healthy, healthy, and our husbands and our healthy view of sexuality. And then we watch Fifty Shades of Grey. We'll read it and it, it just won't help you. That's testing God, you see. It's testing Him. And so you see, we... need to be careful. The good news for us is that Jesus was faced with that opportunity to jump from the pinnacle of the temple and test his father to test the truth as to whether or not he was the son of God to test the truth and whether or not his father would, would protect him, just like Psalm 91 says. And he said, no, 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 no. Psalm 91 is true. I don't need to prove it by testing him. He will prove it. My father will prove it through my obedience. And he did, you see. The father proved that the son was really his son. The father proved that he did really care for his son because he raised him from the dead the night that Jesus was betrayed. He was with his disciples and after giving thanks, he took bread and and he broke it and he gave it to them and he said, this is my body which is given for you. This, This is the way of my Father. This is obedience to him. This will show you that I'm the Son of God. The same way he took the cup and again after giving thanks, This too he gave to his disciples and he said this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. This do also in remembrance of me. The apostle says as often as we eat of this bread and drink of this cup we declare the Lord's death until he comes. If Jesus had given in to Satan this wouldn't have happened or this would be a lie. But he didn't. And so it's true. He is the Son of God. And the word to us is, trust Him, not Satan. Listen to His voice, not Satan. Rely upon Him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray for me, for us, that we would. We take great comfort in knowing that Jesus for us has lived, and Jesus for us has died. And is his living, like us, he faced everything. For us, he faced everything. And overcame the evil one. That we might have his righteousness, that we might live. And then he died. He took our guilt upon himself. That our sins would be forgiven and we would be able to stand in your presence for that. We're grateful, I pray, even now. that we would take no shortcuts in following him. I pray, even now, that we would, through him, God, worship you and you alone. And I pray that we would not presume upon your mercy and grace, but trust you. So take please this bread and this juice and set it apart in such a way that we would know that we're in the very presence of Jesus and that He truly is the Son of God. And this I pray in Jesus' name.